So we we are the Siddlers. Uh, we get to light the candle of peace today. But before that, we wanted to share a, um, a tradition that we do as a family. Uh, so every year around this time, we do Advent as a family, which um, we're all doing as a church together. But one thing that we try to do, and we don't do it perfectly, but one thing that we try to do is be really intentional about our reading and responding to what God is telling us in his word and really looking at uh, the story that he's always been telling since the beginning, uh, which is really cool. And I'm glad we get to do the candle of peace because it's just a really cool, it's the story he's been telling. He brought peace uh, through his son, uh, peace with mankind and uh, uh, peace with God we get to have because of Jesus. So uh, one thing that we do, like I said, we read and respond and we don't do it every night, but we do try to do that. Uh, that's our aim. and. Uh, I'm really proud because this last week was the first time that I challenged my son to uh, lead the family in, in doing it without any. So it was kind of like uh, when you push the bike and let him let him do it all on his own. And he did an amazing job. And it's really cool as a dad to watch <coughs> uh, the Lord talk to your kids. Uh a lot of times as they're growing, uh, you try and instruct them in the Lord and, and kind of help them along. And he did a really good job just listening and, and responding. And um, do you remember your title, bud? What was your title? Um, put hope, love, uh, courage, and strength in a God. That's right. So just reading through the story and how Joseph had a uh, leave and 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 listen to the Lord. He that's what he that's what he got was uh, that we have to put all of our courage, all of our faith, and all of our hope in God. That was really cool. So uh, with that, uh, I would encourage you to to just be reading God's word, responding to it, and and uh, leaning on Him, especially in this time. Uh, so with that, I will light the candle of peace. Okay. The peace of God comes from peace with God. This Christmas we can experience his peace by making sure we are prepared to celebrate his first advent, even as we look forward to his second advent. Our Heavenly Father is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God in Him and in His promise, in His promises alone. With we, with we, will we find eternal peace with God? One of the many promises God has kept was His promise of a Savior who would be born in Bethlehem. This candle on the Advent wreath is sometimes called the Bethlehem candle or candle of preparation as a symbol of the preparations being made to receive the Christ child. And as a reminder that many missed this grandest of moments because they were not prepared. They had either stopped looking or stopped believing in the fulfillment of his promise of his first coming, his first Advent. This should remind us that we need to live ready for the promise of his second coming. And if we are making sure we are prepared for his second advent, his peace that surpasses all understanding will be ours in Christ. We light this candle today and throughout the week as a, as a reminder of the peace that comes from knowing we are prepared to see 
the coming of the Savior because of the cross of his of Christ. And it encourages us to live as peace makes a, as peak peacemakers until his glorious return. Um, Luke two fourteen, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth. Er, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. Um, yes, yeah, so let's pray. Oh, and one thing I wanted to mention is the uh, Bethlehem star is in the sky. If you didn't know that, uh, it hasn't been in the sky I think like eight hundred years, so it's a pretty big deal. Um, we got to look at it uh, last night as it's. I think the 23rd is when it's going to be its brightest, right? 21st of tomorrow. So be out there tomorrow and looking for it because that's pretty cool uh, that God is still telling his story. And we we get to be the ones that get to see it again, uh, the star. So, Lord, thank you so much for um, the story that you've always been telling. Thank you uh, that you did send your son uh, so that we could have peace with you uh, through uh, his payment, through his sacrifice. Lord, um, thank you for... Uh, this beautiful day that we get to remember that. Thank you for putting your stars in the sky and knowing them by name and and uh, even giving us the opportunity uh, to see it, to worship you for it. And uh, Lord, we just praise your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Siddler family. Great job, kids. Not too bad, two parents. Hey, before I um, open up the word and we start into the message, um, I don't mean to put him on the spot, uh, but we have a living miracle in our midst. Um, if a couple of men from our church would go over um, and just um, uh, lay hands on him and that family, uh, I'm going to pray for Al Price. Um, thank you for being here, brother. Um, the word that the Lord gave me as we were singing, um, it goes along with the theme, but it goes along with what's going on in your life too, Al, and, and, and the whole Price family. And that's, the disciples are in the boat and Jesus is asleep in the back. And you guys know, and this giant storm comes and the boat is sinking. And the disciples' response is, don't you even care? And how easily we can get there, man, especially when you're in a storm like you guys are. But do you remember what Jesus did? It says that he got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the storm, hush, be still. And immediately the storm stopped, and he is still calming storms. Let me pray for that. Oh, Father, we are a broken people who live in a broken world, but your grace makes broken things beautiful. Sometimes we don't understand it. A lot of times we don't like it. But if we'll just cling to the one who not only calms the storms, but walks on top of them, and says, don't be afraid. The great I am is here. We will cling to you. Lord, I lift up my broken brother, Al. 
I pray for his broken heart, the loss of his wife. I thank you for the testimony of their marriage, the testimony of their commitment to one another and to you and to your bride even. Lord, I pray that you would help fill the void in a way that only you supernaturally can. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would rebuke the storm, that you would tell it to hush and be still. I pray that for Sean and for Tina, for Mackenzie and Haley and Josh. Lord, help them to sense your supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding. We know you can. We pray you will. And Lord, I thank you that you have, that you have already done miracles in healing him physically. That he is here today is an amazing miracle in our midst. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to heal him. He is a mighty weapon in the hands of a mighty God. And you're not done with him yet. Help him to see how you're going to use him and this. And let that be part of the healing. Most of all, Lord, I pray that you would just, as you have already been in these weeks, that you would be glorified. And that your name would be magnified in our midst through this. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. Would, would you, yeah. Would you um, pray with me as I pray? We open up the word of God. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the truth that we can come in agreement to the truth of God's word. I thank you for all of the promises that are in this book and, and how many of them have been fulfilled already in the first coming of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that during this Advent season. And because of all of those fulfilled promises, we take great comfort and courage in being in full agreement that you will fulfill the rest of them. The zeal of the Lord of hosts has not stopped. So Lord, I want to pray that you would, as we continue to worship you in the word, open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your truth and that it would not just be something that would be head knowledge, but it would go down deep into our heart, our very souls, that we would walk out of here encouraged and equipped to look and smell and taste more like Jesus Christ. Because that's what you leave us here for, that we would be his body as we walk this earth. Lord, I pray that you would do it all for the glory and the fame of our Prince of Peace. And it's in his name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. And all God's people once again said, amen, amen. Well, good morning. If you haven't figured it out, we are in our Advent season, and this is the last Sunday, as you can tell, because all four of our candles have been lit, and the only one left is the Christ candle, and we'll light that here on, at 4.30 on uh, Thursday evening for our, um, for our Christmas Eve service. But we have talked about the um, hope and the love and the joy, and today we will talk about the peace in Christ. And I've asked you guys a few questions about, and, and, and even shared a little bit about how in those four words, like which one, which word, hope? love, joy, and peace, which one is the hardest for you to experience? 
Just yell it out. Peace. Hope. Joy. How many, how many would say hope is the hardest for you to experience? Like just to keep hope. Okay, how many of you would say joy, um, love? Love is your, the hardest to experience. Okay, how many of you would say joy? Yeah, that was me last week. How many of you would say peace? All right, so joy and peace are kind of the two, and, and, I, and, I, would, and I would totally agree with you. In fact, what, what, I, what I confessed last week before you was joy is the hardest one for me to hold on to. It's the most fickle in my own heart out of the four. But here's what I'll tell you today as we get ready to talk about peace. Peace has probably been the one that has taken me the longest to understand because I always wanted and frankly still want peace to look like that calm tranquil pool like the the like a like a mountain lake that, that, that where there's not even any wind where it's reflecting the mountain that is behind it because it's just like crystal clear right that's what i think peace ought to look like but that's not what biblical peace is in one in a part of your daily reading this morning in it's in um numbers you don't need to turn there but in number six was one of the one of the passages you were supposed to read this morning and it says that um, God gives us a, what's what we think of as the benediction or the, or the farewell blessing. He's giving it to Aaron to say over his people. And he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance. That means turn his face or show his favor upon you and give you his peace. But here's what the, the, the word for peace there in the Hebrew is, who knows it? What's the, what's the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. See, but shalom, biblically shalom does not mean absence of conflict or stress or turmoil. Biblically, what shalom means is connectedness and wholeness. Like the idea of biblical peace is wholeness, is being made whole. And the only way that can happen is through the work, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, and part of what we celebrate at Christmas had to go all the way to the cross in order for, guys, we have peace from God only one way. And that's if we have peace with God. And that peace with God only comes one way. And that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. But, we ha- but, but this is why it's so hard for me to understand. We have to, we have to get past this idea that peace is the absence of struggles, and since I have struggle in my life, I can't possibly have peace. So I'm going to let you in a little secret. You'll never get there this side of eternity. Right? Peace is not the absence of struggle. Peace is knowing the wholeness with Christ, the oneness of his presence in the midst of the struggle. Right? It was, it was them. The, the failure of the disciples in the boat was they forgot who was in the boat with them. And then they also forgot that he even cared. I mean, that they look at him and they say, don't you even care? Like, I, I read, it's one of your daily readings this week, and I, I read that, and I'm just like, oh, how often do I say that? Like, I might not use those words, because that would be almost, that would be like blasphemy, right? To actually, in my prayer, go, Lord, don't you even care? But how many times does my heart feel that way? I'm like, have you just like, do you not even see? And yet the psalmists over and over give us an opportunity um, to lament in that way. And it's okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Right? So today, if you have a so we're talking about peace. So God with us brings us the peace of his presence. And the question I'm asking today is how can we get better at living in perfect peace? 
Okay, so that does not mean how can we get rid of all the stress in our life? How can we get rid of all the turmoil in our life? How can we get rid of all the conflict in our life? That is not what I mean because that's not what the Bible means about perfect peace. But how can we get better at living in perfect peace? And we're going to look, we're going to go through probably my second favorite book in the Bible. We're going to go through the whole book. You know, we're only going to go through three short passages in the book of Isaiah. My first favorite book is probably the Psalms. My second, I always say, if, if I could only have one book in Scripture, it would be the Psalms. My second choice would be Isaiah. And it's because Isaiah is full of the gospel story from beginning to end. And so we're going to look at, at a passage towards the beginning, towards the middle, and at the very end of the book of Isaiah. And what the, and what the passage is going to show us is how can we get better at living in perfect peace? By remembering who Christ is, by re constantly renewing our mind, and by reading the word of God. And so, here we go. If you're going to turn to Isaiah, Isaiah's towards the middle of your Bible. It's past the Psalms and the Proverbs. If you get to, like, Jeremiah or Ezekiel, you've gone too far. So it's between those big books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the Psalms. But we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 9. That's going to be our first passage, and it's our first point. How do we get better at living in perfect peace? By remembering who he is. I'll flash forward a little bit. Ephesians 2.14. He himself, Paul talking about Jesus, he himself is our peace. Right? Like ultimately that's the answer. How do we get better at living in perfect peace? By living with Christ. By actually walking with Christ. By doing life with our Savior. That's how we get better at living in perfect peace. What Isaiah is going to show us is the same thing right here. He says, by remembering who he is. So let's start in verse 1. He says, but there will be no more gloom for her, for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea and on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, guys, when you hear, the, when you see, hear a word like Galilee or a phrase like Galilee of the Gentiles, well, who do you immediately think of? Galilee of the Gentiles, like where who lived in the, in, in the area of Galilee? What, where, what, were they, what lake were they on when the storm came that he, right, the Sea of Galilee. Here's what's interesting. Two times Jesus feeds thousands of people. One time it's 5,000 people. You know where he was? Near Bethsaida, which is on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. When he feeds 4,000, you know where he is? He's on the other side of the sea in the Gentile area. Why? Because he is fulfilling this idea. What, what Isaiah is telling us, oh, by the way, 700 years before Christ did any of that, is, he, is your Savior is going to be a Savior for all people. The, the word Gentile there is just, is just the word for nation. It's often translated nation. He said, what, what Isaiah is telling us is this that God is going to provide a way for both the Jew and the Gentile to come to faith, real faith. And it is through what we're about to read. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. I love how the, the NIV translates that last part. Those who walk through the valley of the shadow of death will see a great light. Because immediately when you hear that phrase, what do you think of? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. That's, where I want it. That's what I want peace to look like. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right? Isaiah is, is talking about the very thing King David wrote about. And he's saying, this light is going to shine on them. But guys, do, do you understand that, that, that even in the war, even in the phrase, this light is going to shine on them, he is referring to Jesus. Keep your finger in Isaiah 9 because we're going to be, we're going right back there in just a second. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Hopefully you can find it because it's the first part of your Bible, the first page of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. It's the plural, it's Elohim, the plural form of God. So the, in the beginning, the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and he called the light day and the darkness night. Guys, here's the thing. When, that's day one. When did God create the sun? Down on verse 14 through 19, day four. So for the first three days of existence, there was light and no sun. Where did it come from? Go to the end of your Bible. Genesis, or Revelation 21, almost literally the end of your Bible. It's the second to the last chapter. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 22 of Revelation 21. Revelation 21, 22 says this. I saw no temple in the new Jerusalem for the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb are its temple. The lamb we know is Christ and the city has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God has illumined it. And the lamp is the lamb. And he goes on to talk about that light guys from literally from beginning to end. Jesus has been what Isaiah back to our passage in Isaiah nine has been the light that will shine on us. It's just most of the world misses it most of the time. Let's keep going. He says, He shall multiply the nation with gladness, and shall, he shall multiply the nations and shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence. They will be glad in your presence. Guys, I want to read to you just a part of my journal. It's um, tomorrow's reading is, is Psalm 23, actually, but I journal ahead. Um, just so I can keep saying, and also so that that word like washes over me as I'm preparing the message for this Sunday. And I wrote down in Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And then I wrote, shh, sit a while, I'll wait. But I want, I want, I want to read, this is what the Lord gave me, but I, I really believe it is for us this week as we go into Christmas. And all the chaos that sadly comes with it. Family drama and shopping and whatever else is going on. And here's what I wrote. There is much to get done this week. Too much on my to-do list to let time go by sitting and being still before my Lord. If I live that way, I'll get a lot done. I'll get to the end of this week having gotten a lot done and accomplishing nothing. We fill our time with so much stuff and wonder why it doesn't feel much like Christmas. Because especially this year, like it's already really hard to feel like Christmas, whatever that means for you and your family. And, and because of all the craziness that's going on in the world, and you add to it what, we, what every year we add to the craziness of Christmas, and then we wonder where Jesus is. Like somehow it's his fault. I'll finish up, says, why, why Jesus seems so far away? So instead, let's simplify 
and sit for a spell and simply be still at the footstool of our Savior. Guys, I, I, am, I am almost begging you what Daniel shared up here when, for his family. Their family. Like, like if there's, if you've, we, we talk about reading and responding to God's word all the time here. I'm going to talk about it at the end of the message today. Guys, if there's ever been a time that you need to make time. Guys, I'm speaking to the men in particular. Men do what men want to do. Do not tell me you don't have time to read God's word. Just don't. I don't want to hear it. Because it's a lie. You do have time. Get up. Put down the video game. And pick up your Bible. So, with that, cross some non-Christ. So this is my like responding now, like what do I need to do? I need to cross some non-Christ stuff off my Christmas to-do list. Like, no, really, right now, I need to cross, like, because some of you already, like even me just reading this, the anxiety level for everything you have left to get done this week is building up. I know. You know how I know? Because it isn't me too. It's so frustrating, right? But we just have to, sooner or later, we just got to make a choice. And how we spend our time, especially in the week of Christmas, absolutely tells you what you prioritize. It just does, right? That is the number one way you can tell what is really important to me. How do you spend your time, right? Because that is the only commodity we've got that you can't get more of. Okay, so let's keep going. I'm sorry, I'm so behind. It's all right. We'll keep going. I'm gonna pick it up in verse four. For he shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulders. So, so see if this doesn't, obviously, this isn't, again, written 700 years before Christ, talking about Jesus. The rod of their oppressor, as in the battle of, of Midian, and every boot and every booted warrior in the battle turmoil, which is great that we prayed through. I didn't know Brian was going to pray through the armor of God, but we're in a fight. And cloak rolled in blood will be burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Guys, do you, do you see what the second line, at least in my Bible, the second line of verse six says? And the government shall rest on his shoulders, and the government shall rest on his shoulders, and the government shall rest on his shoulders, and as, and as if to make the point Isaiah goes on, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and hold, uphold it in justice and righteousness from this time forth forever for the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Guys, do you believe in Christmas? Like, honestly, like, do you believe in the story of Christmas? Like, if, if, if we don't, what are we doing here, Right? But here's the thing, if we believe that a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, what we celebrate on Christmas, if we believe verse 6, we also have to believe verse 7. Right? We also have to believe that the zeal of the Lord of hosts has not stopped. God is not like, he, he isn't like on a stove where he turns the heat up sometimes and, and just loses energy and turns it down the next time. He is still fulfilling his story. Right? And he will finish the job. But we have to actually believe what we're saying we celebrate in order to see that happen. So the first point is 
or the first the question we're asking today is how do how can we get better at living a life of perfect peace one we have to remember who christ is he is the one who was promised from the from genesis chapter three throughout scripture fulfilled all those promises we have to constantly renew our mind with that the second thing is we are which i mean that's which is our brings us to our second point renew we have to renew our minds so go to isaiah chapter isaiah 26 Go to Isaiah, which was another part, one of your daily readings this week. Isaiah 26 and verse 1. It says, in that day, the song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city who sets apart walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the one that remains faithful. Now, now before we get all caught up and, you know, is this a promise for Israel? And is this a, guys, he's talking about the church. How do I know he's talking about the church? Because in Ephesians chapter 2, remember I referenced and he himself, Ephesians 2.14, and he himself is our peace. Do you know what Paul is talking about in that whole section? We're not going to turn there. We don't have time. But he's talking about how we were once far off, meaning Gentiles, meaning not Jewish, and he brought us together. Right? There has only ever been one way of salvation, and that is through believing in the Messiah. The Jews that believe that, that Jesus is the Messiah are part of the church. And so are you if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, which is just the New Testament word for Messiah. But ultimately, he himself, when, when, when this, this promise right here is, is, one, is, is God saying, through Isaiah, God saying that, that the one that remains faithful Faithful meaning believing in the promises of God is the one who will be saved. Now, one more way to just sort of to prove it to you. Again, keep your finger in Isaiah 26. Go back to the end of your Bible, Revelation 21 again. And I just want to read a part of Revelation 21 that makes the point that the faithful, the faithful remnant are the ones who are going to be saved. So here's, here it is. We, we, we went through Revelation a couple years ago now, or yeah, I guess it's been about a couple years, but, but ultimately at the end of a whole lot of bad stuff, we see this in Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard aloud, that's the church, by the way, that's us, Right? That's, that's, who, that's who he's talking about. They're the bride adorned for her husband. It says, and, and oh, by the way, remember, I, I, I'm not supposed to be teaching through Revelation right now, but that, that is made ready. That is a passive verb, meaning God is doing it to us. We're not making ourselves ready. God is making us ready. And sometimes that making us ready is incredibly painful. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear, man, I can't wait for that day, from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, can't wait for that day either, no longer any mourning, praise the Lord, no longer any crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And then he says this, and he who sits on the throne, that's Jesus, or that's the Father, says, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write these words, for they are faithful and true. And when he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the light from the beginning to the end. I am the one who has only ever been. I am the beginning and the end. 
and I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of the water of life without cost. Verse seven, and he who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Do you remember what Revelation told us about how do we overcome? They will overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. How? That's our part. His blood brings us into the family. How we live our lives, the word of our testimony. I'm a follower of Christ and I'm not ashamed of it. And I'm gonna live boldly for him. That's our part, right? That's what we need to be about. And we constantly have to renew our mind. Guys, so in a world that is just a train wreck most of the time, and it seems to be wreck, train wrecking more and more all the time. How, do, how in the world can we possibly do this? It's the only way is by constantly renewing our mind and resetting our anchor in the rock that is Christ over and over and over again. Because the world is constantly, constantly, constantly trying to drag us away. And guys, I'm not talking about all the evil stuff. That's the obvious stuff. Let's let's just make this really clear. Satan doesn't need you to be bad to keep you ineffective and not um, what we not and not what we just read. Not not an overcomer. Satan doesn't need you to be involved in bad stuff. He just needs to keep you busy. And he's really good at it. Really good at it. So we have to get better at going, oh, hang on, I got to renew my mind with what is true and right and lovely and pure because otherwise I don't even know what I'm supposed to, what to do. Pick it up, in, I'm, back in, I'm back in Isaiah 26. I'm picking it up in verse three. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace. Man, I just love the sound of that, like perfect peace. I'm like, ah. Because he trusts in you. Now you see that? Trust in the Lord forever for in God the Lord, you have an everlasting rock. Guys, I, I, I'm going to just find, I'm going to read a pretty long Spurgeon quote. It's gonna, it should come up on the screen, I hope, because he does a much better job. Go figure, Charles Spurgeon does a much better job than, at everything than most preachers ever have. That's why they call him the prince of preaches, preachers. But here's what he says about trust. The word trust is a heart word of faith. It is an Old Testament word. The word given to early and infant stages of faith. The word faith expresses more of an act of the will. The word belief, the act of the mind or intellect. But trust is the language of the heart. The other has reference more to a truth believed or a thing expected. But trust implies more than this. It sees and feels. It leans upon a person, a great, true, living heart of love. So let us trust also in him through all the delays, in spite of all the difficulties, in the face of all the denials, notwithstanding all the seemings, even when we cannot understand the way and know not the issue, still trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. Guys, it's so amazing to me how many times God's word connects peace and trust. Because remember, peace is not the absence of problems. It is trusting in his presence in the midst of the problem. 
So we can't have the peace that surpasses all understanding unless we trust that he is sovereign over our circumstance. And that's ultimately the, like the answer to our question today of how do we get better at living in perfect peace? By trusting in Christ. So first, we need to remember who Christ is. We need to renew our mind constantly in, in the truth of who he says he is, who he says we are. And the last thing is read his word. So for that one, we're going to go to the end of Isaiah, Isaiah 66. And I'm not going to spend much time on this because, well, one, you guys hear from me a lot about the importance of being in God's word every day. You just heard it from Daniel about the importance of being reading and responding to God's word every day. Next week, we're going to talk, as we, as we get ready to walk into 2021, we're going to talk about the importance of being in God's word every day. Because it's the only, I, 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 I say this all the time, I know it's a broken record. It's the only record that plays. That's all I got. I got nothing to get. Because if you're showing up for anything other than what, is, what God's word is revealing to us, you're here for the wrong thing. Like if you're waiting for some word of wisdom from this mouth that isn't part of this book, you're, you're missing it. Because there's nothing that's going to come from here that isn't found in here that is worth you getting into there. It's just the way it is. But you also, guys, like no other time, and you're going to hear me talk about this a lot in the next three or four weeks, like no other time in the church's history, Cornerstone and the Capital C Church, we have got to get better at being self-feeders. Have to. Because there is no telling what's in store. From our perspective, God knows. But we have got to get better at teaching each other how to teach the Word of God. You know what that's called? Discipleship. That's what that's called. And we're going to get hardcore after it this spring. So, reading his word. I said I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on it. It's just two verses. 66 verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you would build for me? And where is a place I may rest? For my hand has made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one will I look, to the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Guys, the, that, that word contrite there actually conveys the idea in the Hebrew of being a cripple. Of being, like, of, of being almost like forcibly submissive because of where you find yourself. Here's what God is saying to us in this passage. He is saying to us, here's the one to whom I will look and give my peace. The one who knows he or she needs me. And the one who comes to my word to find me. The one who knows they need me. And the one who will come to my word to find me. Guys, it, because it doesn't do any good to come to this if you think you know better, right? If you come, if you come to God's word going, okay, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little curious about what you have to say, God, right? Like, you're not going to get much out of it. If you come to God's word going, Lord, I need a word. I need a word. I, I, I need your word to speak to me. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your truth. And you open up God's word and you expect it to be what it is, living and active. Right, because do you, do you remember what, what Micah, the prophet Micah said? He said, what does the Lord God require of you? To do justly, to love kindly, and to walk 
humbly with your God. That last one's really important because if we're not humble with God, then we think, we, then we think he just is helping us a little bit. That's not what God's about. God isn't into helping. He's into taking over. For the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might strongly support, I love, I think it was the New Living Translation, show himself strong in the hearts of those who are, who's in, the, in, in those whose hearts are perfect towards him. I love the picture of that. The eyes of the Lord are moving throughout this room right now, right now that he might, in the power of his spirit, show himself strong in the hearts in this room who are pursuing him. Those are the people he's looking to. Is that going to be us this Christmas, this week? Right? I, I love the picture of in, in the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark, when it shows, when, when in Mark, it, it talks about how the cloud, the cloud comes down on Jesus in Mark's account, and it says, and a voice came from the cloud. And do you remember what the voice said? It's on the screen, right? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Like, like how much clearer can God the Father be? He's like, come on, people. This is my son. Listen to him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and nothing has come into being that, has, that, was, that, was, that came into being apart from him. Who's the him in every one of those, in, in that pronoun? Who's the him? Jesus. Thank you. Right? He is, this is not a book. This is a person. This is Jesus, the Word. He became flesh for 30-something years. We've had this Word for a couple thousand. What are we doing? It's not God's fault that the world's going to hell. It's not. He told us 2,000 years ago to make disciples of all nations. What are we doing? I can just stick to my notes. As, as the music team comes up and they get ready to pass around communion and I'll come back up and share um, a little bit as we, as we take the elements together if you're a follower of Christ. Um, guys, it is so, like, like, like I, think I, I think I shared last week during communion, but it's so important this week too that, that we remember that, yeah, yeah, Christmas is a great story. And it's maybe even a little more kid-friendly than Easter or Resurrection Sunday, right? Because it just doesn't, ha but, but Christmas isn't the point. Right? The, the word becoming flesh and tabernacling among us accomplishes, a, listen, everybody, one, two, three eyes on me. The word, a baby born in a barn and living among us for 30-something years and then just going back to be with the father accomplishes nothing. Do you understand that? He'd be no different than Buddha or Muhammad or whoever else teacher out there. It's going to the cross that makes the difference. Right, if, and, and, here's, and here's the remarkable thing. Before he came down, before he emptied himself of his deities, that he would come and, and, and not just be like a man, but become a man so he could die for all men. He knew where it was going. He didn't get down here and go, Really? You couldn't fill me in on that before I came? He knew. And he came. 
anyway. Why? Because he knew it was the only way. It's the only way. God becoming flesh, dying on a cross that he might take away the sins of the world. That, brothers and sisters, is peace. Let's pray. Father, I just... um, In moments like this, I find myself just so humbled by grace. But I wish I could stay in this place. I wish I wouldn't get so distracted the rest of the time. I start trying to do things in my strength and in my power and frankly, too often for my glory. So Lord, I do pray that as we walk into this Christmas week, that it would be a celebration. Communion even is a time of celebration, but that we would remember the power of the story and that it would humble us To this one will I look. To the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. In Jesus' name, amen.